Do you remember in the beginning of the release of the COVID-19 vaccines, LifeSite warned that they were abortion-tainted? Do you recall how many objected to this as untrue? Some suggested that the abortion connection couldn't be proven, that may have just been tissue from a miscarriage rather than an abortion. On this show, we had an expert, a vaccine researcher, who revealed some even more macabre details about how the abortions to extract aborted fetal tissue for the vaccines had to be totally planned out, done on healthy children, who were at an advanced gestational age so that their organs could be harvested. And most controversially, you learned here that it was more like vivisection than abortion, that the harvesting of the organs would happen while the unborn child was still alive, was still with their hearts beating, or while their bodies were still warm. And some called this suggestion outrageous. Others says it, said it was outright falsehood. So now that things have calmed down, at least for a bit, around COVID and the vaccines, we have time to show you the undeniable proof of the connection of the vaccines to not only abortion of innocent children in the womb, but also to vivisection. This is The John Henry Weston Show. Stay tuned. Just before I start this show, I want to let you know that LifeSite is right now in the middle of a crucial fundraiser, and we need to get your support to continue this show and all the news and all the different shows that we produce at LifeSiteNews.com. Please, if you haven't done so already, consider making a generous contribution. Go to give.lifesitenews.com for more information. Let's begin as we always do with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Some time ago, I did a show with Pamela Acker, the vaccine researcher who gave up her PhD for her conscientious refusal to work with stem cell lines created on the backs of aborted babies. She is likely the most well-researched person on the planet regarding vaccines, and yet many took it upon themselves to besmirch her reputation after our interview, mostly because she noted that in order to achieve the stem cell lines most commonly used today, the cost was not only the lives of hundreds of preborn babies, but most especially because she noted that the babies were alive at the time of the extraction of the fetal organs from which the stem cell lines were derived. Thus, it is with vivisection of preborn babies, not just abortion, that we derived the human stem cell lines from which we today have all of the COVID vaccines in America. All the currently available COVID-19 vaccines approved for use in the USA, Canada, and the UK use fetal stem cell lines, particularly HEK293, in the following ways. Number one, it was used along with other human stem cell lines to develop a genetically engineered spike protein that the mRNA vaccine codes for in the original development stage of the vaccine. Number two, the mRNA Pfizer vaccine and the Moderna vaccines were tested on HEK293 before they began human trials, and this testing is ongoing for all new batches. And number three, the old technology Johnson & Johnson AstraZeneca vaccine used in Canada and the UK only 
grew a weakened viral strain in human embryonic kidney 293 cell culture, that's HEK293 cell culture, which was then sifted and refined before its use, leaving only tiny cell components and DNA fragments or debris of the aborted baby. Melissa Strickler, the Pfizer whistleblower, was able to share emails that revealed the use of HEK293 in tests for the Pfizer vaccine. Moderna vaccine, Novavax, the use of HEK293 cell lines for their tests, while the Johnson & Johnson or the AstraZeneca vaccines you'd use aborted fetal cell lines in both production and testing. The Charlotte Lozier Institute has an entire list of vaccines with details about their ethical nature, and I encourage you to check it out. HEK293 is a human cell line created using a kidney from a dissected Dutch unborn baby girl in the Netherlands by a team at Leiden University between 1972 and 73. It is the second most common stem cell line and is used extensively in pharmaceuticals and biomedical research. It is used in vaccine creation and cancer research. HEK stands for Human Embryonic Kidney, and the number 293 stands for the number of experiments it took for the Canadian researcher Frank Graham to genetically engineer the cells to grow indefinitely in an artificial environment. What you must notice, however, is that though HEK293 uses the term embryonic, that baby girl whose kidney was extracted for the purpose was not in the embryonic stage at all. The embryonic stage ends at eight weeks. She was much older in gestational age in order for her dissected organs to be used they had to capture these to make them secure functioning kidney cells. So the man in charge of the research was one Dr. Alex Jan van der Ebb, who when questioned by the FDA in 2001 about the origins of HEK293 stated this, quote, So the kidney material, the fetal kidney material was as follows. The kidney of the fetus was, with an unknown family history obtained in 1972 probably, the precise date is not known anymore. The fetus, as far as I can remember, was completely normal. Nothing was wrong. The reasons for the abortion were unknown to me. I probably knew it at the time, but it got lost. All this information. End quote. Notice how he says fetal kidney material and not embryonic kidney material. The abortion was performed on a baby who was perfectly healthy and normal, he says. The purpose of this is to show or to lay bare before you the truth of the fetal cell lines used in vaccines and research. A common argument in favor of vaccines using fetal cell lines is the erroneous claim that these are cell lines from miscarriages, and therefore we pro-lifers need not worry about it at all. Well, Children of God for Life, an amazing pro-life group that has worked for years on vaccines, has a brilliant article about this, and I'm going to draw a few pointers from there to explain this argument deserves no place in dialogue that it's somehow obtained from miscarriages. So first of all, it's important to understand the biological process of miscarriage and stillbirth and post-mortem changes at the cellular level in order to understand the impossibility of taking cell lines from a miscarriage. 
So an early pregnancy miscarriage is usually caused by a variety of chromosomal abnormalities, in which case an embryo does not form and what tissue is expelled would be of no use at all to one attempting to establish a cell line. The other causes of miscarriage and stillbirth result in the demise of the embryo or fetus, and this demise predates the expulsion of the tissue of the baby's body by several days or even a few weeks. The temperature of the expired fetus in the womb is about 37 degrees Celsius, and by the time the fetus is expelled and there is no, meta there is no metabolic function anywhere in the baby's body, and decomposition of the cells has already advanced, it's not possible to establish any kind of living cell, cell line from a dead tissue. And therefore, we can totally rule out the possibility of creating cell lines through fetuses that have died through miscarriages. Such considerations are a ruse. They're unworthy of any kind of scientific debate, and it really makes you wonder why some people who are scientists or should know better would dare to propose such things. Perhaps they're ignorant of these facts, but nonetheless. Furthermore, one also needs to understand how exactly the extraction of these organs can take place in order to see clearly that it must be through a type of abortion rather than any sort of miscarriage. For this evidence, you have Dr. C. Ward Kirscher. So, He's an embryologist, an emeritus professor of anatomy, writing in the Linacare Quarterly, the oldest bioethics journal in the United States, and he said, and I quote this, The truth is that dead tissue would do nothing. The transplant must contain living cells. The only way to ensure that is to obtain them from living fetuses, end quote. And in an interview with Deborah Vinage of Children of God for Life, Dr. Kirscher spoke specifically of harvesting cells from aborted babies for creation of stem cell lines for vaccines. He said, and I quote again, in order to sustain 95% of the cells, the live tissue would need to be preserved within five minutes of the abortion, end quote. He added that, and I quote again, within an hour, the cells would continue to deteriorate, rendering the specimens useless." End quote. So not only is it important to preserve the tissue within five minutes of the abortion, but the researchers also take care to pick and choose the fetus for research. When we assess the WI38 cell line, this becomes very clear. So answering questions about WI38, that's another cell line like HEK293, but questions about WI38 the lead researcher in the U.S., Leonard Hayflick, confirmed that his colleague in Sweden, Dr. Sven Gard, had carefully chosen the unborn baby, used in the WI38 cell line, based on its health. Writing in a medical question and answer paper, he stated, and I quote, This fetus was chosen by Dr. Sven Gard specifically for this purpose. Both parents were known, and unfortunately for the story, they are married to each other, still alive and well, and living in Stockholm, presumably. The abortion was done because they felt they had too many children. There were no familial diseases in the history of either parent, and no history of cancer specifically in their families." End quote. So 
these carefully chosen babies are then dissected under specific conditions for the organs to be, at they, as they say it, at optimal viability. So the child needs to be dissected and organs extracted within five minutes of delivery, let's remember. And you know, that's not even all. A research paper from the University of Toronto dated June 1952 says this, and I quote again, No macerated specimens were used, and in many of the embryos, the heart was still beating at the time of receipt in the virus laboratory, end quote. Uh, let me read that again. Again, a quote from a research paper from the University of Toronto dated June 1952. Listen to this. Quote, no macerated specimens. That's no specimens that were like run through a blender. Macerated is all mushed up like that. So no macerated specimens were used in many and in many of the embryos, the heart was still beating at the time of the receipt in the virus laboratory. So, Dr. Ian Donald, the pioneer of the ultrasound scanner, claims to have witnessed the WI-38 dissections that were conducted at Karolinska Institute. He described them this way, and I quote, Experiments were being performed on near-term, alive, aborted babies who were not even afforded the mercy of anesthetic as they writhed and cried in agony, and when their usefulness had expired, they were executed and discarded as garbage. End quote. This is all done without anesthesia. To not change the cellular activity of the organs the researcher wants to obtain. Without anesthesia on these little babies. Meaning the baby can experience the excruciating pain. In fact, not only do they experience pain. So remember, we've just had all of these Supreme Court cases about unborn fetal pain that we need to take care about. And therefore not do abortions after that period in which they experience pain. Well, we also know that there's research that suggests, and by the way, those court cases were predicated on this, there's research suggests that the neural mechanism that inhibit pain sensation do not actually begin to develop until the 34 to 36 week period and are not complete until a significant time after birth. And that means that this fetus is hyper-responsive to pain. So this is cruel and inhumane, completely unimaginable, and yet, evidence suggests it is sadly true. And this is not just a thing of the past. Anti-abortion activists from groups including Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising, Survivors of the Abortion Holocaust, Pro-Life San Francisco, and Rehumanize International gained access to the largest and most extensive active fetal organ bank in the nation located at the University of Washington in Seattle in early March of this year. This photograph of the freezer taken on March 9th shows the rows of bodies and parts labeled and kept in bags. The University of Washington continues to distribute and traffic the body parts and whole cadavers of unborn babies at a rate that surpasses any other known institution in the United States. David Delyden, the founder and president of the Center for Medical Progress, in a press release dated August 2021, stated, and I quote, 
the NIH grant application for just one of the University of Pitt's numerous experiments with aborted infants reads like an episode of American Horror Story. Infants in the womb, some old enough to be viable, are being aborted alive and killed for organ harvesting in order to bring in millions of dollars in taxpayer funding for Pitt and the Planned Parenthood abortion business that supports it. Er, it supports. End quote. So Pitt, that's Pitt University, advertises several points to NIH for why Pitt will be the best location for, quote, a distribution hub for supplying large numbers of aborted fetal body parts to NIH researchers, focusing on Pitt's, quote, over 18 years of experience, end quote, collecting body parts from aborted babies. Chillingly, Pitt announces that Ischemia time is minimized. So, what is ischemia time, you may ask? Well, according to the NIH, warm ischemia time is, and I quote, the time a tissue, organ, or body part remains at body temperature after its blood supply has been reduced or cut off before it is cooled or reconnected to a blood supply. So, if the fetus, heartbeat, and blood circulation continue in labor induction, abortion, that's a type of abortion, labor induction abortion, for harvesting organs, it means that the fetus is being delivered while still alive, and the cause of death is the removal of the organs. Can you believe that? These are not claims made by us, by the way. Every single piece of horrifying evidence I've just placed before you have been admissions by researchers themselves. None of these cell lines are secured through miscarriages. Rather, they are all abortions. They are vivisections, where the preborn child is picked on a health and family disease history. They are alive when their organs are ripped apart. Their hearts are beating when they are being dissected. They are not administered anesthesia, and their cause of death is the inhumane removal of their organs. A delivery by cesarean section or hysterectomy is the abortion par excellence for fetal tissue harvesting. A 1982 review of the history of tissue donation affirms this. It says, and I quote, Fetal tissue for transplantation must be harvested within a few minutes of delivery. This is the journal speaking, and it continues, Ideally, this is by hysterectomy with the fetus delivered in utero, Drugs which reduce fetal physiological activity need to be avoided. The fetus is therefore in as alive and aware state as possible when being opened. End quote. Modern methods, like the creation of cell line Walvax 2 in 2015 in China, involved inducing a birth and keeping the baby in its own amniotic sac or water bag until the moment of dissection. The creation of the Walvax II was possible through the abortion of a three-month-old female fetus from a batch of nine aborted fetuses in 2015 in China. And yes, it required the killing of nine babies. And this is 2015, not the 1970s. And finally, to the argument that was only one baby back in the 1970s. And so, What's the big deal anyway? 
Well, it's true that the only available information regarding the HEK293 cell line is that it was taken from an aborted healthy baby girl in the Netherlands in the 1970s. However, that does not mean that the only that only one baby was aborted in the process of the creation of HEK293. And why do I say this? Well, We've proved it over and over again, but also in the journals you'll find it. Christian Hacking of the Center for Bioethical Reform um, in the UK states in his article, we know that in the creation of WI38, 32 babies were killed and dissected. Add in the additional experiments to get the rubella vaccine and subsequent experiments to test it, and the total comes to 99 unborn babies killed. We also know that at least five babies were killed in the production of MRC5 in 1970 and nine babies in the production of Wallvax2 in 2015. Therefore, while it is unlikely that 293 unborn babies were dissected in the production of HEK293, experts such as Pamela Acker suggest that it was over 100. The vivisection and abortion of these innocent babies is an inhumane crime that comes only from the devil. And our Lord Jesus Christ taught us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The sacrifice of babies on the altars of the fake gods is actually not new. There's nothing new under the sun, and baby sacrifice and murder was present in the Old Testament days too. Up and down the Bible, we see God condemning the Israelites for their sacrifice of babies to false gods. Choice 42, a pro-life group, has a brilliant video about child sacrifice and abortion, and I encourage you to watch it. We never heard the cries of the babies in the olden days while they were sacrificed to the various pagan gods of rain and wealth and so on. Even today, we don't hear the cries of the babies while they are being butchered for our false gods of wealth and honor and power and pleasure. When Our Lady first appeared to Juan Diego in 1531, the Aztec culture was still steeped in bloodthirsty paganism. According to Aztec scholars, the height of their empire, the Aztecs sacrificed tens of thousands of victims every single year. Children were routinely among the victims. It was through Our Lady, Our Lady of Guadalupe, that Mexico was reconquered for Christ, our King. Our Lady is both virgin and mother, and Satan hates Our Lady, and so he attacks that which he, she stands for, purity and motherhood. Listening to this whole account must be horrifying, and it could lead us to despair while we wonder what we can do. But you know, there's a beautiful practice begun by Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, where he gives us an, a simple prayer to pray, to spiritually adopt a baby in danger of abortion. And I invite each of you to pray that prayer. Well, after watching this show, to start this practice, it's a simple prayer. God knows which babies are in danger of being aborted and cruelly murdered for research, and we can spiritually adopt one baby in danger of vivisection and abortion. Name that baby. Pray for that baby every day for nine months with this small prayer from Archbishop Sheen. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I love you very much. I beg you to spare the life of the unborn baby who I have spiritually adopted, who is in danger of abortion. 
and in faith we believe that God will save the babies that we have spiritually adopted. Therefore, we have indeed done something. For LifeSite News, this is John Henry Weston, and may God bless you. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.